Good morning, Southbrook. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. Let's, uh, let's put 2023 in the, in, behind us, okay? Let's just move to a new year. We're really excited about this year. I, saw, I graduated from high school in 1980. Do I have any other 1980 graduates here? Okay, a few old people here with me. Uh, yeah. And I saw a thing over the holidays that 2024 is to 1980 what 1980 was to 1936. What the heck? <laughs> and uh, it made me think about, Billy Graham said this, he was in his 90s, and he said, uh, somebody asked him, what was the thing about life that most surprised him? And he said, it's brevity. He was in his 90s when he said that. And, you know, if you're listening to me now, and you're under 30 probably, you're saying, that's an old person talking up there, talking about, but it's the truth, isn't it? it those of you who, who know, you know this is true, and uh, that's why the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 5 to, to be careful how you live, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. I don't want to be a, a prophet of doom, but 2024 could be a really interesting year in our country. I mean, it, we need to prepare spiritually for the political battle that is ahead and to make sure we respond as citizens of the kingdom first, right? Citizens of the kingdom of Christ first, and citizens of the United States secondly. And um, as we get into this, this most lofty material today, uh, I want to remind us of the critical, critical role the church plays in being the conscience of a country and a community. Uh, you have no idea, possibly, uh, the power you have as a follower of Christ to be salt and light in your world. And it is so imperative that we're that this year. And uh, more than ever, I want us to be this agent of light. You know, our job is not first to take as many people to heaven with us when we die. Our first job is to bring heaven to as many people while we're still alive as we can. And we are committed to that at Southbrook. And this year is going to be a great year. We, we, the construction should, be, should really move this year, as you can see out there. And, and our dream, that really this dream goes back to 2003, of being a, a, a third place where, in this case, students come and people come to, to get connected uh, is, is uh, being fulfilled right, right outside our doors as I speak. And we want you to be a part of that. If you are making New Year's commitments, make a commitment to be generous to your church. You are sitting near someone, because I can see many of them, that if you ask them, why has your life been so rich, there are some people here that I know one of the things they would tell you is, because I committed to being generous to the movement of Christ in the world. And that unlocked something. That song we just sang, You've Been So, So Good, to respond to that with your tithe and offering unlock something in your life, and we want you to be a part of that. And if some of you have oh, been thinking about, what, what, I, what do I need to change in my life? If you're not being generous, then that's something you need to change in your life. But do it because of grace. Do it because of what I want to say today, not because of some duty or obligation, but because God loves a cheerful giver. He loves, he loves it when people gracefully respond and now he, he accepts the money of a grump, and so do we, but God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we get it, and we respond to the truths of that song with generosity, and we hope you're a part of that. 
You can go to southbrook.org. You can use the Push Pay app. We use that. Or you can use the box that it is out at the welcome counter. We're in, uh, we're, we're in this month, uh, I am predominantly going to be, Lord willing, teaching through this gem of a New Testament, of the New Testament called Romans 8. And I want to say off the bat that uh, it's overwhelming. I, I will not do this justice today. I guarantee you. But we're going to dig in because these words, if all we had were Romans chapter 8 words, we would know what it is to flourish as a human being in Christ. If all we had. Sometimes don't you wish God would have just kept the New Testament at one chapter, that just one chapter. But he needed preachers, and so he expanded it out to 27 books. But we're going to start this, and this series title for Romans 8 is based on verse 37 that we are more than conquerors, this is the word, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And really what we're going to do is we're going to begin with the end in mind and we're going to unpack what that word means. That word is actually connected to Greek and Roman stoicism. And we're going to unpack that in coming weeks. But today we get to unpack it with... uh, the initial words that Paul had coming out of Romans chapter 8. I'm having some technical difficulties up here. Uh, can someone come up here and help me? Because I've lost my connection. I'm connected to the Holy Spirit, but not to our internet right now. <laughs> hey, stand and talk to each other while I get this figured out. <laughs> Okay, just go ahead, say hello to your neighbor. There we go, I'm back, I'm back. Uh, but what I want to do is, 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 is really just dive, you know, N.T. In, in Wright says that Romans 8, it, we look at this whole city of Romans 8, but it's essential that we look down into the streets of Romans 8. And what we're going to do is look into what does that mean to be more than conquerors? Well, in essence, it means to be fully alive as a human being in mind, body, and spirit. That's really what it means to be more than a conqueror. Just to be a fully alive human being. Irenaeus, the church father, said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. A human being fully alive. And this is true. And this is what all of us want, is it not? I mean, the reason people use drugs is they want to be fully alive. We have all kinds of shortcuts and ways to get to that fully aliveness But in reality, that's what we're all looking for. The the fact of the matter is, many of us, the reason we came to church in the first place is we tried all the other ways of being fully alive, and they didn't work. And and that's what God offers in John 10.10. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it religiously. Is that what he said? What did he say? That they might have it abundantly. (laughs) That's why he came, is to overcome the power of the evil one to minimize our lives. Now, as I look at fully alive, to unpack that further, I think that means I'm able to experience life on its terms, not my terms. If you're not able to experience life on its terms, life isn't fair. Life is not equitable. Life, you don't always get what you deserve in life. Is that not true? And when you can experience life on its terms, because you have the resources to do so, you're, you're getting somewhere. It means I'm able to express emotion authentically. 
If you're bottling up who you really are and you're never able to, in a healthy way, express what you think and feel, then you're not fully alive. But this other one is a big one. And that means that I'm able to expend energy and power when it is necessary to do so. And all of those, th- those three that I see as the definition of being fully alive are what the Spirit of Christ in you and me offers. We're able to experience life on its terms. We're able to express emotion authentically. We're not afraid of it. And we're able to expend energy and power when we need it. In psychological terms, it's, it's the idea of not being decompensated. And many of us, when something happens in life, we experience that we didn't have the resources we needed. Jesus' way of putting that was the wise person builds their house on the rock so that when the storm hits, they have the necessary resources to deal with that. One of the things through my arduous fall that I had, and I had some moments of just, woo, uh, was is anytime you go through a trial, you get to find out, have you lived the way you believe? Have you lived that way? And I got to, I got to experience on some really painful days. Uh, I would, it was not unusual for me to be walking 9, 10, 11 miles a day because it's the only thing I could do to feel good. And, and, and I'm worshiping and I'm praying and I'm thanking God and I'm singing that song. That was the song that I sang more than any other song. Thank you, Lord. You've been so faithful. And I got to experience, I really do believe this stuff. I really do, because when life's cushy and good, you don't really know. You don't really know, but when, when life gets hard and you need some resources to dig down, you get to, you get to experience whether or not you really believe what you say you believe. In essence, in one word, to be fully alive is something that we Americans, we worship this, but we don't know how to get it, and that is true freedom. True freedom of mind, body, and spirit. So, Southbrook, are you ready to dig in to Romans 8? Because yes. hopefully I've say, you know, sated your appetite a little bit, and, and you're ready to dig into these rich words that I guarantee you I will not do justice to. I'm going to break it into three sections. That the transforming factor of Christ in your life is in going from religion to relationship, going from dying to thriving, and going from old patterns to a new identity. First, let's look at this, this first one, religion to relationship. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, whenever you read in the New Testament, therefore, you gotta go back to see what it's there for. That's a, just a principle of Bible reading. And as Gerald explained, therefore is there because he spent seven chapters saying, Christ has taken the penalty of death. And not only that, he cancels the power, or he breaks the power of canceled sin. He'll break patterns in your life when you surrender to him. And so Paul says, as a result of all this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those of you who have lived in religious guilt, and that's a lot of why you're here, this this verse will be one of the most difficult verses for you to truly embrace because the idea that there is now no condemnation and the phrasing there is it doesn't exist anymore. It's not, well, you were good yesterday and you took communion and and you asked for forgiveness and so today there's no condemnation, but tomorrow, who knows, all bets are off. It's gone. It's been absorbed in Christ. It's been totally absorbed in Christ. Now, I believe what Martin Lloyd-Jones said is true. And students, listen to me when I say this. 
Think about this one. Remember where you were when you heard this. He said, almost all of our problems in life are because we don't believe that verse. Almost all of our problems come from we don't believe that verse. Either we just give in and we say, I'm a loser, I can't, or we try to overfunction to make up for our sense of condemnation and inadequacy that you would carry around with us. And I think he's right. I think he's right. There's now no condemnation. This is why this is one of my life verses. I was raised in a shame-based family. And so I will never not need this verse. My, my life, my whole life, I will battle shame. I will battle it. I am like, uh, you know, some people have a certain drug. My drug is shame. And some of you are the same way. And you'll need this verse. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So the idea that Jesus in his body absorbed sin, and then he went to heaven, he raised from the dead, went to heaven, and then he sent his spirit. Now I live according to that spirit, not the law that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. I don't live according to that measurable anymore because what the law was intended to do, it did. It showed me I don't measure up. And you'll experience freedom as a person when you go from measurables to movements. When you go from, okay, I think I measure, I've been pretty good this week. Uh, I don't think I need to go to church. Or I think that the way I cursed during the game the other night, I probably ought to go to church. <laughs> the way I lashed out at the kids this week, I probably ought to go to church. You see, that's, that's an old religious mindset. It keeps you in constant enslavement because you don't ever know if you measure up. You don't ever really know. You don't ever know. Are you really doing enough to balance the scales your way? And that's living under condemnation. That's the law of sin and death. It's going to eventually kill you. It is the number one reason, trust me, why people give up on Christianity is because they stay at the measurable religious level. Look what he says. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. So the design of the law wasn't meant to make us good. Our sinful nature will find a way around it. And as a matter of fact, our rebellious nature will try to rebel against it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And look at this. So he condemned sin. He condemned sin. How did he do that? He absorbed it into his body. He took it. All of Israel, all of Israel, God chose them to say, the Messiah is going to come through you. And God heaped his sin on Israel. How did he do it? He heaped all sin on Israel through the Messiah. And then the Messiah took all that sin and he absorbed it in his body. And then he rose from the dead to conquer it. Now, this is really important, friends, because once you believe this, you start realizing how free you are. How many of you, your family, has been affected by the bug that's going around? Boy, our family's really been affected by it. I mean, I, it's, I, luckily, I've skated through, through right now, but, but we've had it. What if someone came along and they breathed in every part of the particles that that virus uses to transmit itself to other people? What, what, would, what would happen if God came and he, I am breathing all that in. He absorbed all the viral particles in, that exist in the world and into himself, and he took those in, and he died, and that, that went with him. 
That's what Jesus did with sin. If you knew, I don't have to worry about the flu this winter because Jesus came and absorbed the flu virus for me. You don't have to worry about it anymore. If you understand that, you understand what he did for you. He absorbed the sin virus. He took it in his body, and he condemned that. And then he said, it's necessary that I send my spirit. Notice he said, it's not necessary that I send more tablets coming from the mountain. No, I am sending my spirit. Why? So that the requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Not because we earned it, because we measured it up, but because we don't live according to the sinful nature which was attached to the law, but according to the spirit. Verse Three, he condemns sin in the sinful nature. That's why there's no condemnation, because he took it with him. I love the way the Message Bible reads in verses 1 and 2. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. I'll be honest. You know that's how you've dealt with God. I was raised in a religious setting, which I'm thankful for, because religion is like the scaffolding on the, on the building of the house, but once you have the house of grace built, you don't need the scaffolding of religion anymore. But I was raised and so I, in religion, so I looked at God as Mr. Tharp. Mr. Tharp was my junior high principal, and when I was in junior high, I was going through a self-actualization phase. By that I mean I got in trouble a lot. I'm the only person I've ever known who got straight A's and F in conduct a few, peri- a few <laughs> grade periods. I kid you not. I was just expressing myself in ways. I, 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 didn't, I, don't, I don't, still don't understand why I was doing some of the things I was doing. But I saw God as Mr. Tharp. And he's someone to be avoided if you're not being good enough. That low-lying black cloud, Paul says, in the Message Bible is gone. A new power is in operation. The spirit of Life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air. Virus is gone, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. And if you're hearing this, and, and is, boy, this sounds too good. This, this can't be true. This is this newfangled religion he's talking about. No, it's not. This is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We, in our institutions, we took it and complicated it. This is it. This is what Paul preached to the degree that people said, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? This is too good to be true. And if you think, if you're sitting there thinking, this is too good to be true, then you understand it. You get it. Religion is spelled D-O. Relationship, which is what Christ came for, he fulfilled the requirements of the law so that we might have those requirements in us by his spirit. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It has been done. It is finished. The work of measuring up was finished by the Messiah. I was reading this week in Ezekiel where Ezekiel's prophecy of the messianic age, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you. Not out of duty, I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The role of the law now is this is how we can live to please God. He's pleased when we live according to his laws but it's not how we're approved by God anymore. The Spirit is now moving us. We have something that happens in our house once or twice a week. 
And uh, we're sharing our empty nesters, which is way underrated. <laughs> and uh, once or twice a week, I always be in my office or I'll be downstairs, and she comes home from Kroger. And she inevitably says, hey, honey, I'm home. And the back of her car is filled with bags from Kroger. And now, I could take that one of two ways. I could take that, hey, honey, I'm home. The car is full of groceries. And if you know what's good for you, you're going to be out here real quick. And, help, and you're going to take those groceries in because I loaded them into the car. And I, and I battled Kroger during the holidays so that you could have food on the table. I, I could say that. Or I could take it as she's saying, hi, honey, I'm home. Now, because I know my wife, and I mean she's the least passive-aggressive person you will ever meet in your life, if for her to say, come in the door and say, hey, honey, I'm home, does not mean out of duty buster, get out here right now. It means I want you to know I'm home. I'm glad to see you. And, and I go out to the car and load the bags of groceries onto my arms and bring them in the house. Why? Because it's a duty? No, but because I love her, and she loves me, and romance starts in the kitchen, and the groceries are close enough, and that's the way it works. <laughs> and if you understand that illustration, you understand the difference between religion and relationship. You may actually do some of the things, same things, but you don't come to church in 2024 because, yeah, I feel guilty if I don't. Or I'm trying to make up for how I talked this week or how I acted. No. That, that law of sin, it's gone. We, we were always, and some of our people I see who have been around here a long time know, that we always wanted to build a place where people never felt like they had to be a part of it. But they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be a part of the gatherings. And I don't think very many of you are here today because you're getting notches on your belt. You know, that you're getting frequent flyer points on your resume. You're not even sure if this counts as church or not anyway. So, <laughs> so, so you're not here for that. You're here because you've gone from religion to relationship. And he's put a new heart in you. He's put a new spirit in you. Galatians 5.25 says, let's live by the spirit. Since we live by the spirit, let us walk in step with the spirit. That's the new way to live. We live with the gracious rhythms of the spirit of God with us. Now look at this next one. I'll go through these next two more quickly because these are going to come up more in, in coming weeks. We also go from dying to thriving. And this has to be very, very, very carefully explained. The reason is, is because if you're here today and you're, let's say, deep in grief from a loved one you've lost, and you, you think, gosh, I, I don't think God's spirit lives in me because I'm not thriving right now. That's the way you could read that. That you could read thriving means it's hip-hop happy day every day. I'm happy in the service of the Lord every day. There are no hard days now that I'm in Jesus. And actually, there's some theologies that give that impression. That if you really trust God, you'll be having your best days every day. Well, I don't know about you, but this fall was not my best days. But I learned to thrive within that pain. Do you see that? And this is what it means to live in the spirit. Look at what he says. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. 
But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature, that part of us that's fallen, that is controlled by the virus of sin, cannot please God. But you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Your, your body is in a state of dying. You will be closer to death when you leave here today, mortally, physically, than when you came in. That's just a reality. But your spirit is alive because of righteousness. The way that Paul put this in 2 Corinthians 4 was, although outwardly we're wasting away, Botox, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And I love what Dallas Willard said when he said that as we age and the body declines, it actually gives more room for the spirit to emerge in us. And I think that's true. I think it's absolutely true. Now notice the key word there. Many times Paul mentions the word mind. The word mind. Your mind affects your body is what I want you to see here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, who raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now this is again, this goes right against a Platonism. Platonism from Plato back in the Greco, Roman, Roman Greco world believed that spirit was everything, the body was evil. And this is one of the radical tenets of Christianity. You ever hear anyone say, I read it on, on social media a few weeks ago, a guy trying to correct someone on social media say, Jesus came to save souls. He didn't come to save bodies. He came to save your mind, your body, and your soul. He came to redeem it all. Because when you are in heaven someday, you're going to have a real redeemed body. And this is powerful that he says, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. And that does get manifested in you physically. Now, we know this is true because we see people who have lived really rough, far from God lives, and we see it in them that they're, we, you can see it in them physically. You can see it in them physically, right? But you see people who, I mean, I, I, I know people who are in their 80s and 90s who are so young. <laughs> they're so, I mean, they're just so young, and they can't, you know, bounce around like they used to, but they're just so young. And th they have life in their mortal body. Now, this starts with, this is really a good first of the year message because, you know, Emerson said, thoughts rule the world. Solomon said, as a person thinks in their heart, so they become. Dallas Willard said, thoughts are all the ways in which we are conscious of things. So in other words, now we know this literally through neuroplasticity, your life is directly the result of how you think. It literally changes neural pathways in your brain, and it literally changes cells in your body how you think. This is one of the most powerful discoveries that the scriptures knew 2,000 years ago when Paul would write in Romans 12:2, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, Willard, in his classic work, Renovation of the Heart, said this. Here's what you have to focus on. All you have to do is focus on these four things. To have your mind transformed, and then it begins over time to affect your body, all of your being. 
Ideas, images, information, and integration. These are the four things. You ought to write these down. Take a picture of this because these are the four areas that you look out for to be strategic about. Ideas are simply things like they're, they're constructs of the accumulation of thought. So idea. America is an idea. Christianity is an idea. Um, democracy is an idea. Family is an idea. We all have ideas. We, we're, unco- we're not consciously aware of them, but we all have ideas that are the result of our thoughts and our experiences. Church is an idea. Do people have a bad, bad concept of church? That's the result of experiences they've had with their own thoughts built into that. And so one of the things you've got to be aware of is, is maturity in Christ is you start having the ideas about ideas in the world that he had. That's, that's what it means to be filled with Christ's spirit is you start having his way of looking at ideas. How did he think about the idea of masculinity and femininity? What did he think about the idea of marriage? What did he think about the idea of prayer? These are all ideas. What did he think about that? And you begin forming your thinking around the idea he had about that I'm going to have about that. Luke 5, 16, Jesus went up to a mountainside where he prayed all night long. That says something about the idea of what he had about prayer, doesn't it? Does it? Does it it say something about what he thought of the idea of prayer? That he would often spend nights praying. That says something. Do I have that idea? Do I have that same idea about prayer? If I want the life he lived, I have to start forming the ideas he had. Here's the next one. Images. Images are then the representations of ideas. They're concrete. Ideas are abstract, but, but images are, are concrete. The, the American flag, that's an image of the American idea. The cross is an image of our faith, isn't it? The idea of Christianity is embodied in the image of the cross. I don't know if you've seen it, but Angel Studios, I got Sherry and Jordan and Mackenzie, they, they have a new... It's a necklace you can get that's the empty tomb. It's two intersecting circles, and one of them looks like a stone, and the other one's just an open. And, and I love that because the empty tomb should be one of our images of our faith because the cross means nothing without the empty tomb. And so that we want to have the mind of Christ, we have to begin putting in our mind the same images that he had. It's very critical. Music is an image. How you, how you use music is an image. All, of course, all mediums of media are, are image-bearing realities. And Willard said this, ideas and images are, accordingly, the primary focus of Satan's efforts to defeat God's purposes with and for you. So just know this. It, you don't choose whether ideas and images are going to impact you. They are. They are. And they're one of Satan's most powerful tools to to be to the detriment of humankind. When we are subject to his chosen ideas and images, he can take a nap or a vacation. And he's right. It's just once he has us thinking that, think, think about what, the, the worst thing about pornography is that it presents the idea that the human body is a unidimensional element. It, it de-dimensionalizes human beings. It, it turns, you're not minds, bodies, and souls. They're just a body. It's just a body. And if that's your idea of humanity, it is going to affect all of your relationships, 
all of your relationships would be affected by that. Not just your relationship with that image, but how that image represents how you think about the opposite sex. And so this is so powerful. The mind controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Willard said the process of Christ's spirit freeing you is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Then, information. Information affects your life whether you choose it to or not. Ignorance is not bliss. If you're a writer and you don't know about Google, the internet, or libraries, is that going to affect your writing ability? It's going to affect because you don't know. If you're a scientist in the 18th century and you don't know about germs and you're treating patients, is that going to affect your ability to, in a positive way, treat patients? Absolutely it will. And so information, this is why the prophet Hosea said this, my people, God told Hosea, are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. One of the reasons we constantly tell you to have some habit of scripture in your life is because Jesus read the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He would often tell religious leaders, have you not read? Have you not read? You guys haven't been reading your Bibles, have you? You don't know. And when it comes to life, ignorance isn't bliss. And if you have the wrong information about something, it's going to affect your life. How many of you believe two plus two equals four? You believe that? If you believe two plus two equals six, it is going to affect your life. I mean, you have not aligned with reality. You know, and, and, and so when you come to Christ, you come to this reality of, I, he said, I, you will know reality and reality will set you free. That's what, you will know the truth. That's what the truth is. It's reality. And you'll know that, and that'll set you free. Once you align yourself with two plus two equals four, and you start living according to that, which is what belief is. Belief isn't saying two plus two equals four. Believing is then applying it to your life. Now we're going somewhere. Because you're aligning the information that your brain agrees with, with reality. And then the last one is integrated thinking. And integrated thinking is the ability to sit and put it all together from God's perspective, from Christ's perspective. This is why at the end of the day, Christianity is a worldview. That's what it is. Because it's what allows us to put everything through the mind of Christ, to see things from how he sees it. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Now you've been living with the spirit of God and you have the resources to deal with that. And you, the old person would have respond, reacted accordingly. But now through Christ, you realize, Jesus, this morning in my prayer time, I brought all people, all spirits, all things with the cross. I see everything through the cross now. You died for that jerk. You died for that jerk who just cut me off. And I respond accordingly. It, when your ability to integrate grace and truth into your life on a daily basis, it affects everything you become. And the, the, the point that Paul's making here is that you are surrounded by a society of people who are dying. They don't have the power and energy to expend when necessary, so we have to cheat, we have to lie and steal, we have to use drugs, we have to get high. That's, why do you think we, we legalize marijuana? We don't have the resources to deal with life on its terms. <laughs> That's why. And... And now you come into this new life where you have the resources. You have the resources. And when someone cuts you off in traffic, you were ready for that. Your soul is ready for that. 
And if you mess up and get angry, your soul has grace to say, Lord, I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so sorry that I, that I acted that way. I'm going to give $100 to Southbrook this Sunday. And I have to <laughs> next week, I'm going to get into this one. So I want to go through this next one quickly. You go from old patterns to a new identity. And, and I'm just going to be real brief here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Those old patterns, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. You know, you don't. They're not, they're not predetermined. Your DNA is your design. It's not your destiny in Christ. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. And that just doesn't just mean physically. It means you'll slowly live a life where you're not thriving. You're dying. But if by the Spirit you put to, deed, to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because, and this is not talking about heaven. This is talking about now. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now look at that. He says, you had these old patterns in your life that you knew were crazy because they didn't just hurt people you love. They hurt you. That's, that's insane. It's one thing to hurt other people. It's another thing that you're doing stuff that hurts you. That's, that's messed up. And now those old patterns are given way to, I'm a child of the Most High. I'm going to live out that identity now. I will guarantee one thing about you and me. You have public beliefs about yourself, what you want people to think you believe about yourself. You have private beliefs about yourself, what you want to think about yourself. And then you actually have your core belief about yourself, which is what you really believe about yourself. You always live consistently with that third one. When it comes to what you really think you are, you always live consistent. There are no hypocrites when it comes to your core belief about what you are. And when you, over time, you really start believe, believing, I am a beloved child of the Most High God with supreme value and worth just as I am today, that affects everything and what you do and how you live. Sherry and I are watching The Crown on, uh, on Netflix. And it's such a powerful treatment of the, the complexity of leadership and family. But really, if you watch that series, it's about identity. Because you have a bunch of people who don't know who, who are we. Are, are, you, are you the Prince of Wales? Are you a father? Are you, I mean, it's, just, it's, just, a, it's just, a, a, just what our world will do to all of us lost. And we were at the season six with Princess Diana. And it is painful to watch this person whose identity is just being stolen one snap of a camera at a time. One snap of the camera at a time. And uh, there's no parable, but it actually happened. Uh, I, I, I don't remember where I originally heard this, but uh, Lord Francis Mountbottom was, was a, a, a relative of the royal family. And he, would, he was the Prince of Wales. And he, was, he said, he told about when he was a little boy, think about living in the royal sphere, atmosphere, and he and his cousin were in the, the mansion, the, cha the uh, castle, and there, were, there was a big snowstorm. Six inches of snow hit the ground. And he and his little cousin were watching just outside the grounds where these little street urchins were playing in the snow and having the time of their life. 
just having the time of their life, just throwing snowballs at him. And they wanted to be a part of that, and they knew they weren't allowed to, to mix with the commoners. They weren't allowed to do that. And so they went and they dug out all the worst clothes they could find. They put them on, and they went out into the street, and they started throwing snowballs at those street urchins. Well, one of the palace guards caught what they were doing when they hit a window in the palace and cracked a window, and he started chasing after them. We caught three of them. He caught Lord Mountbatten, he caught his cousin, and he caught one of the street urchins. And he grabbed him by the collar, and he said, who are you? And, and Lord Mountbatten said, I'm the Prince of Wales. And his cousin, he grabbed him, he said, who are you? He goes, I'm, I'm the, the Duke of Windsor. And, and uh, he grabbed the third one, the little street urchin, and he said, who are you? Who might you be? He goes, I'm with me buddies. I'm the Archbishop of Canterbury, he said. Now think about that story. I think it was Billy Graham who originally told that story. Think about that story. That if you don't know who you are and you don't claim who you are, it can be taken from you so quickly. I'm telling you, friends, you live in a world that will steal your identity and it's way a lot more than your bank account. You lose who you are. If you'll make 2024 the year where you thought about the things of the Spirit, that's what you thought about. I can tell you, I can tell you what you're going to be. It's what do you think about when you're idle? What do you think about? But you thought about the fact that Christ died for me. I am a beloved child. He rose on my behalf. I have a new life. He ascended to the right hand of God, and he is taking me with him. I have the fullness of his authority in my life. I am a child of God. And when you start believing that more and more, because every day you say it and you think it, I don't know how long it'll take for you. It's taken me years to get to the place where I really believe it. Every once in a while people say, ah, I gave up on Christianity. I tried it. And I often I'll say, well, tell me what you tried. Ah, you know, I served. I was there all the time. I was volunteering. I, I tried to read the Bible. I did all this stuff, but it, but it, didn't, it just didn't do it for me. And I'll say, well, okay, I, I don't believe in that either because what, what you had was religion. You were, you were trying to earn something. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't believe in that either. But the other answer I'll usually get is this, and this may be you. Yeah, I started going to church. But I didn't really do much with it during the week. And it just really didn't do anything for me. And my answer to you is, if, if that indeed, if that indeed is you, I will tell you this, you have to think on the things of the Spirit if you want to get the benefits of living the life in the Spirit. It has to, the gospel has to be something that you live your day within the flow of that reality and you're thinking about the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. You're thinking about you're a child of God. You're thinking about the spirit in you, living in you, walking with you, and you walk in that spirit. Because if you do that, you will experience the benefits of the Holy Spirit. You will. Let's pray. Father, now... That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. But if we can walk away from here today saying, I am moving from religion to relationship. I bring the, I bring the groceries in, not because I'm in duty, but because I'm in a love relationship with you, Father. I have gone from dying to thriving so that even when I feel physically like I'm in a struggle, I, I can even have the resources to thrive by your spirit within that. 
and I've gone from those old patterns to now what governs my life is this new identity. I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And I live on his estate. I am his prince. I am his princess. And now I live out that identity because we all will once we really believe it. Thank you for this new year. It's new opportunities. We have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature. We have opportunities to live as the children of God. And the world and this country is waiting for that. In Jesus we prayed and everyone said, amen, amen. amen.